snippets of timeless classics with ramblings on everything bookish, Ink and Quill connects you with literature, culture and writers in China and around the globe. Discovering literature and following the stories behind your favorite authors. This is Ink and Quill. I'm your host, Yang Yong. For many living cities, the daily commute on public transport, especially on the often overcrowded metro system, can be a rather boring and soul-sucking experience. Want to enliven your tedious subway ride? Then how about some poems? Recently, commuters in Shanghai and Guangzhou have found some of the metro lines and tram cars plastered with beautiful bilingual poetry placards everywhere. On the walls, doors, seats, and even on the carriage handles, this is part of an ongoing cultural campaign dubbed "Poetry on the Metro," sponsored by the British Council in five Chinese cities. However, when poetry has never been as popular as once it used to be, how will this nationwide campaign win hearts and souls? To find out, our reporter In Xiuqi talks to Nick Marchand, director of arts and culture for China and Northeast Asia at the British Council. He is also the brain behind this cultural event. Poetry on the metal. How did you come up with such an idea to combine poems and the metal? I think it's it's an interesting one because I think in the UK over the last thirty years, commuters and those travelling on on public transport. Have got used to the idea of being able to see glimpses or moments of poetry and art around them as they travel. It's proved to be a really wonderful way of engaging with people as they go about their daily lives, and it's a way of、uh, inspiring curiosity and, and engaging with new audiences in ways that perhaps were previously unexpected. Last year, we launched Shakespeare on the Metro in Shanghai and then in further cities across China. Um, and the response was really, really fantastic. Audiences really liked the idea of being able to get glimpses,、uh, in that case, of, of texts or some of the famous texts from Shakespeare, but also some of the ideas that were prevalent in, in those plays, even if they were over 400 years old. And so that's proved to be a really interesting and exciting way of engaging audiences. So we've continued to work with Shanghai Metro and other cities around China to develop this way of engaging. And trying out different things on audiences and seeing how they respond. So, how do you create an artistic and poetic atmosphere on the metro system? You know,、uh, this hustle and bustle is noisy. And how do you attract people to get involved? It's a really good question, and I think you have to be quite clever in terms of how you approach it. We've got forty poems overall that we want audiences to try and engage with. The trick is, of course, that you can't just. Slap a large slab of text on the side of the wall and expect audiences to engage or want to engage. Particularly if it's a busy commute on a weekday morning. So what we try and do is engage in in slightly different ways. So yes, there might be poetry on on the walls of the metro. They might also be on the glass doors of the metro carriages. But there might also be ways of engaging with things like the seats that you're on, or the the handles that you hold onto to stay upright when the train is moving. We've approached it in different ways in different cities. Because, for example, in Guangzhou, we're on the tram system there, not the metro. But the key thing is really 
the metro space allows you to engage with the online world too. So what we try and do is, is give you a glimpse or a, a moment that you want to engage with, whether it's an image that's linked to the text, whether it's some, a couple of lines from the text that we think particularly capture the imagination. We try and use these little glimpses around the trains and the trams that people will go, oh, I'm, I'm curious. It will pique their curiosity and they'll want to know more. And then what they can do is they can go through the QR code that Chinese audiences are so uh, tech-savvy and so understanding of, and they can link through. And then they can access all 40 poems through a, a WeChat mini-site, then start to learn more about the poems. They can read the full texts. They can understand a bit of history around those poems themselves and a little bit of commentary around the poems as well. So it's a chance to engage, draw audiences in, and then hopefully them to, to have a richer and more fulsome experience. So what criteria have you adopted to choose the poems, and how do you tailor-present the poems to different readers in Shanghai, Guangzhou, Chengdu, Chongqing, and Nanjing? You know, there are differences in the aesthetic tastes among these groups of uh, commuters in these cities. <laughs> it's a really interesting question, isn't it? Because, I mean, everyone has their own particular artistic taste, whether it's the poetry of uh, Li Bai, whether it's um, mm-hmm. E. Cummings or Rudyard Kipling or, or even Charles Bukowski. Everyone has their own taste and, and literary taste in right. terms of uh, the poetry that they engage with. So what we've tried to do is think more about the breadth of the kind of work that's there. So yes, there might be, you might have Shakespeare or you might have Shelley, uh, you might have uh, Li Bai or Shu Jimo, but also you've got some of the more promising younger poets, say uh, post-1980s, whether it's Sarah Howe or Sir Yun. We've tried to make sure that there's a kind of a breadth. In a sense, it's something of a lucky dip in terms of where you might be positioned on the carriage. But hopefully there will be something that sparks the imagination and then allows you to come to this collection of 40 poems. And hopefully you will find something there that gives you some literary sustenance and excitement along the way. We're working with um, Poetry Island. And they've worked with us uh, around the poems that have been selected, as well as the, obviously the Shanghai Translators Association, which has allowed it to have a, a much stronger context in Chinese language. Um, I suppose the thing that kind of joins all of them together is the theme of youth. And, mm-hmm. and that's really because this year, the UK, there is a Spirit of Youth campaign that we're running in China. It's a way of engaging with uh, what excites uh, audiences, whether it's uh, young artists or young audiences. It's thinking of new ways of engaging audiences and providing different ways of engaging with culture. The theme of your campaign is Spirit of Youth, you just said. Why you just want to target the young audiences? What do you want to inspire and bring out from these Chinese youth? I think we would like to think that we are all young at heart. And this shouldn't be a program that seemed to be exclusively in the domain of, of younger audiences. We know that whether you're 18 or 80, Chinese audiences know how to engage with uh, the online, offline world. We know that they have uh, a shared love of literature and history and, and cultural heritage. And we think that that's going to uh, unite them, really, more than anything else. But the spirit of youth is, the, is really uh, a sense of playfulness and knowledge and, and fun that we can bring to daily commuters on, on the metro. The UK and China share a, an incredible breadth of culture, and by picking out 20 works from the UK and 20 works from China, we think that it offers a really great way of understanding each other's cultures and understanding each other's countries too, and what some of the themes and the areas of common interest. 
that link both countries to. So what are the reactions to your event so far? It's been fun so far. I mean, we've seen, we had some live streaming of the Shanghai launch mm -hmm. on the first day through Zayat, and that was great. We had thousands who linked up with that. And we know that, you know, there have been particular poems that seem to have sparked the imagination. And uh, on Weibo, we've seen how the hashtag poetry on the metro has been flying all over the place uh, and again connecting with over 600,000 audience. So we can see how it's connecting. I think the fun thing really is just understanding what people will take away with it and understanding what I hope is that will allow them to perhaps in some instances explore poetry for the first time and in others discover new poetry that perhaps they haven't considered or read before. I noticed that Beijing has not been included in this year's event. Part of it, it's quite a complicated thing to tee up with different metro systems uh, around mm. the country. And obviously China is a very big, big, big country. <laughs> and there are you know, many, many different metro systems uh, around the country. Uh, in this particular one, we're working specifically in Shanghai, Chengdu, Chongqing, and Nanjing. This is a starting point for us, and we hope we can engage other cities in different ways too. So we're not doing Beijing. It's just that we're not doing Beijing yet. <laughs> right. So I hope there is a similar event in Beijing in the near future. So do I. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so would you expand such kind of cultural events to other, say, second or even third tier cities in China? Obviously, our ambition is to take it further, because actually there's something quite beautiful about a project that links Chinese and UK poetry. And there's something really special about the idea of taking it to public transport, too. We think mm -hmm. it's a really great way of engaging with culture and engaging with ideas. These are the places that we spend probably around one-twelfth of our working day sitting on, <laughs> on the train or the bus. They're places that we spend a lot of time on, and, and, and actually they are the perfect places for reading, for thinking, and for the creative imagination. Nick Marchand, Arts and Culture Director from the British Council, explaining to Xiu Qi how poetry on the metro can bring about a sense of playfulness, knowledge and fun to Chinese commuters. Well, if you want to hear more about poetry, stick around, because coming up, we will be introducing Yu Xiuhua to you, a poet considered by many as the eminent Dickinson of China, and later on, a poem collection which might transport you back to ancient times. Explore the life of great wordsmiths. Share their stories beyond the pages. Ink and Quill brings you the voices of writers and book lovers. Welcome back. You are listening to Ink and Quill with Yang Yong. Poetry, a unique cultural and linguistic expression of the human heart, has never been so marginalized than it is today. In this pragmatic world, people lack the time and energy to savor the sentiments that verses or poems usually bring. Yet, for a farmer-turned-poet, Yu Xiuhua, poetry plucks her from earthly being and allows her to converse with her own soul. Here, Yao Yongmei shares with us Yu's story and tells us how a woman suffering from cerebral palsy has shocked the world of poetry. American author Washington Irving once said, Little minds are tamed and subdued by misfortune, but great minds rise above them. In that case, 
Yu Shouhua, a Chinese female farmer suffering from cerebral palsy, is undoubtedly a giant in her own right. In 1976, Yu Shouhua was born to a rural family of central China's Hubei province. A lack of oxygen during her delivery has left her with permanent brain damage and movement disorder. With the help of her parents, she gradually learned how to stand and walk. Yet the sense of solitude and alienation still haunted young Shouhua. Until in high school, she finally found peace and solace in poetry. Which has become her crutch, something she always turns to when faltering in this reeling world. I'm not using this walking stick all the time. I think poetry is more like a spiritual crutch. When you're ignorant of the world, when no one could help you, the only thing you could do is to hold on to your poem. Although they can't really change your life or state of mind, at least they ease you through poems. You will find your position in the world, no matter how emotionally intense or sorrowful the poetry is. Its nature is quiet and tranquil. Yu Shouhua dropped out of high school a year before her graduation. At the age of 19, she got married to a man she didn't choose out of love. Seldom talking with each other and sharing nothing in common, they soon separated. The husband left her and their young son in the village, and only came back home occasionally. The frustration, regret, and the pain Yu Shouhua has experienced in her own wedlock prompted her put pen to paper. This experience is faithfully documented in her collection, "The Moonlight Rests on My Left Hand," or in Chinese, "Yue Guang Luo Zai Zuo Shou Shang." Here's an excerpt of Yu's poems. You didn't see the part of me being covered. In spring, I lift a flower, fire, and the canopy of tree on the cliff. Yet the lonesome call still echoes in the rain, thumping as a blunt tool onto the evening clouds. Too late to love, I've already fallen for you. I bite your name upon my lips until they bleed, but still, I fail to break the dark seal. Only the easy parts could make me stay: canna, black butterfly, and the reflection in the water. I say to them, "Hello, please accept my humble love," as if I make a bow. But I've never been perplexed, never. Just like a river, which knows the direction of tomorrow, even in the darkest night. But in the end, I can't forgive myself. For keeping you so intact, it's better for you not knowing all those illusions. How many dusts in this world you will need to cover a woman's love that is bloody yet glittering? This part-time poet, full-time farmer, stays her understanding of love. I think what I have done. My bearings and my expressions are merely false appearances. Men cannot see the real me; they are incapable to do that. At the same time, they are unwilling to do so. So, in that sense, love is pathetic. Even in love, people don't really understand what attracts them to each other. But through my poetry, I want to turn this wretchedness of love into joy and happiness, even transform it into hope. It's an accumulating process. I can't stop trying, 
even though I already know the results. Remaining obscure for nearly two decades, in 2015, Yu Shouhua was suddenly put on the spotlight. Her audacious, striking yet heartfelt piece, "Cross Half of China to Sleep with You," became viral online, even inspiring some musicians. Brimming with rich imaginary, realistic touch, and vibrant vitality, Yu Shouhua's poems are neither angry nor hysterical. Instead, she's not shy of illustrating the weakness of herself and the ugliness of life itself. Many of her fans claim to be touched by her frank attitude and lyric words. As many media label Yu Shouhua as Emily Dickinson of China and a bard with cerebral palsy, her book "The Moonlight Rests on My Left Hand" has become the best-selling poem collection in China over the past twenty years. Yet facing her overnight fame, the poet thinks otherwise. Label is necessary when you need to promote something. These labels differentiate me from someone else. But my disability really has nothing to do with my poetry. No matter a person is physically healthy or not, when they write poems, their mind and spirit are the same. Some people say hardship and tribulation make a poet. I disagree because poetry cannot embellish the true nature of life; it's merely an accessory of real life. In 2015, Yu Shouhua was crowned as the Poet of the Year. That was Yong Mei introducing us to Chinese poet Yu Shouhua's book, "The Moonlight Rests on My Left Hand." Bestseller, smash hit, page turner. Ink and Quill delves into the very heart of the works that make us laugh, cry, and sigh. Every generation has its own soundtrack. In the West, individuals born between the 1940s to the 60s are known to be fond of Frank Sinatra and the Beatles, while their Chinese counterparts tend to favor revolutionary model operas. But what about those who lived a thousand years ago? Let's go to Yao Yongmei for more. In 2012, a drama named *Empresses in the Palace*, or widely known as *Zhen Huanzhuan*, was aired in China, and soon dominated the big screen. Featuring the eventful life of a young girl in a royal harem, the hit TV series has enraptured many, not only with its gripping storyline, but also thanks to its melodious and retro interlude. But few know that the song is actually adapted from a verse written by Wen Tingyun, a Chinese poet of the ninth century. Peng Yuping, a scholar at Sun Yat-sen University, says Wen's work had a deep impact on Chinese poetry. As a poet, Wen Tingyun is not very famous, but his works laid the foundation of Chinese lyrical poems. Take this verse for example. It shows how a woman gets up, applies her makeup, and gets dressed. 
On the surface, it displays a daily scenario of a solitary woman, but underneath, the poetry expresses the dejection of an underappreciated and undervalued scholar, which was the major literary theme during the Southern Song Dynasty. Known as Ci in Chinese, the earliest lyric poetry could be traced back to the sixth century. In response to the popularity of foreign musical tunes derived from Central Asia, performers and musicians started to compose poems and lyrics that could be sung to certain melodies. Soon, the wave of this newly formed lyrical art swept the nation and became a cultural force among the literati from the ninth to the thirteenth century. Specializing in ancient Chinese poetry, Peng Yuping explains. Lyric poem is composed of many arias, named as cipai in Chinese. These arias have their set rhythm, rhyme, and tempo. Echoing those arranged tones, poets needed to make up their own lyrics. When we talk about pop songs, music stars, and groupies of today, actually it was the same case between the Tang and Song periods. In his latest book. Quotes of the lyric poems during the Tang and Song dynasties, or Tang Song Ci Ju Yao in Chinese, Peng picks out nearly 220 works from 62 poets and bards. Said in a chronological manner, this poem anthology not only provides abundant original pieces, but also meticulously examines the context, allusion, implication, and the mood of each verse. But by no means is the selection a boastful presentation of the writer's knowledge. Written in an objective and a sharp tone, Peng neither underestimates nor excessively praises the writings of certain poets. Thumbing through the pages, you understand why Liu Yong, the first poet that devoted himself to enriched expressive technique of lyric poetry, exclaimed, "Even if there are thousand varieties of tender emotions, to whom could I impart them now?" Or empathized with the premier poetess Li Qingzhao when she was separated with her husband and poured out dolorous verses. Here's an excerpt of her poem. The fragrance of the red lotus has faded away. Autumn chills seeped through my jade like mad. I loosen my silk robe. To board my magnolia boat along, who'd send you messages through the clouds? I look up for the wild geese, but in vain. As I returned information, my west chamber was full of moonlight. Although lyric poetries in China are generally separated into two different styles. Bold and unconstrained versus graceful and restrained, the euphemistic poems no doubt occupy a much more important position. Written in a gentle, melancholy manner, ancient intellectuals expose their plights and the sentiments of life, political setbacks, and a reflection on the society. Compared with poems of other periods, lyric poetries during the Tang and Song dynasties appear to be a little feminine. But Peng says that it doesn't mean they are weak or flabby. The tone of these works is effeminate, but you could still find the traces of persistence and strength. That's the beauty of lyric poetry. Since lyric poems always go along with an original composition of fixed tone, many scholars believe that this kind of antiphonal writing is less valued. But Peng holds a different opinion.
For me, lyric poetry from the Tang and Sum periods have already walked out of the shadow of history. They have always been a part of our lives, since these verses still spawn a wide variety of covers. Because they could liberate you from the actual world and capture your inner emotions, reading these lyric poetries may help you take things easy. Published in 2014, quotes of the lyric poems during the Tang and Song dynasties were selected as the Book of the Year by the Commercial Press. On that note, it's time to wrap up today's program. Hope you've enjoyed those poems as much as I did. To learn more about us, you can follow our Facebook account China Plus. Or simply download our podcast by searching the keyword "Ink and Quill" on iTunes. Thank you for tuning in. I'm your host Yang Yong. See you next time.